we finish up the book of James this morning as we enter Holy Week. And it's, you know, a good time to finish up, and we'll start a new series uh, next week on Easter Sunday, and I hope you will join us in one way, shape, and form uh, next week as we look at God's Word and the power of the resurrection for us today. And it is also a good reminder that things are not always, are not as they always seem. Things are not always as it looks like. I mean, case in point is on Sunday. What, what people thought they were seeing was this king riding in who would ride victoriously and finally do what they'd always thought would be done. At least if you were a first century Israel Jew and faithful to the word. Ah, finally, the fulfillment of the prophets that predicted in Zechariah. And on a donkey comes your king. And so they went about, they waved their palm branches. And they came, Hosanna, Hosanna. But it wasn't as they thought. For they thought he was coming in to overthrow Rome, which would have been a, a, a pretty good thing for them. They wanted to have it, they, they wanted their independence back. They wanted life as they knew it back. And here they thought this Jesus guy, the Messiah, as some had come to believe him as, was going to do it. Oh, how it was not as it seems. You know, sometimes we in our world today, and, and with hindsight, which we always say is 2020, we look back and we go, how could they have missed it? But I think sometimes we must remember, oh, how we missed it. Even his closest disciples didn't quite get it yet. Because they had no way of conceptualizing what was going to happen. Uh, Daniel or Noah, what was one of the great kingdoms that you had to answer about yesterday at the National History Week? Can you think of one? Shang Dynasty. The Shang Dynasty. You know what years those were? I know. Old. Old. Okay, I'll take that answer. I don't know. BC. Shang Dynasty from China, right? Yeah. All right. Can you imagine? Who was the leader of the Shang Dynasty? I didn't do uh, Noah might know. But. Noah, you know, I don't know either. Okay, never mind. I'm, I'm going to guess. No, don't guess. Okay, can you imagine trying to tell the leader of the Shang Dynasty that there is a way to communicate with people across the world with a video camera and they be able to respond back to you? Can you imagine them thinking that way? Not a chance. Or better yet, um, Abraham Lincoln was one of your answers, Dan, right? All right? Can you imagine trying to describe to Abraham Lincoln what lucky charms are? He asked them in house. I know, that's what I think. Okay? There's not a chance. You can figure out, because they, they have no way of conceptualizing what in the world was going on and goes on. They couldn't 
so they would see Lucky Charms and go, I don't, wait a minute, you put that in a bowl? Like, what are those, like, styrofoam, they don't even know what styrofoam is. What are those, like, little crunchy things that are kind of soft? What, that's sugar? How do you get sugar better? That's, you know, Lucky Charms are the box that were oats. How in the world do you get oats to look like that? And then you, you take a spoon and you eat it, and it's supposed to give you nourishment. Yeah. There's no way. <coughs> right? Things are not always as they seem. And Palm Sunday is one of those things that not always appear as they are. And there are things in a Christian life that doesn't make sense. If you are just looking at it. As James will remind us. James also reminds us of the need to live integrated lives. Integrity. Integrated. Where everything is together. Jesus was the epitome, the great example of an integrated life. He was always a man of integrity. He always did what was the right thing. And he always included every part of this being. There are parts of the world that are still more integrated as far as that than in the Western world. We must be reminded that we are biological, we are mental, emotional, social, spiritual people. All of the above. To be integrated is we must remember that every area that I just mentioned there influences one another. If you are not well biologically, Physically, it can play a part in your mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. And as Scripture points out, we may not like to admit this, but James reminds us again and again in these last verses that when we are not right spiritually, we may not be right physically, mentally, emotionally, and especially not socially. We must have a holistic and integrated uh, discipleship mindset. Jesus didn't come just to save our souls. That sounds nice, and he did. But if we focus strictly on the soul aspect of things, we forget the fact that God created us as integrated beings, heart, soul, mind, and strength, that he desires to save us holistically, which will pay off in other ways. He wants a redeemed mind. He wants a redeemed heart. He wants a redeemed body that does things that are different because of who he is. He wants redeemed relationships. And yes, redeemed souls. They all go in together. And James is going to remind us of these things as he comes to a conclusion. A couple of things, though, as we get started. God is sovereign. That means he is completely in control. Nothing will happen that he is not aware of. Nothing that is, will happen that is not, quote, unquote, in his will. He is all-knowing. He is always in control. And he always has a plan in mind. This is one of the greatest truths of all Scripture. 
God is sovereign. Amen? If we miss this, we miss who God is. Because if God is not sovereign, then he is just like you and me, unable to control things. Unable to do something about the things that he did control. And, and, and we left hopeless. But here's one of the things I, I want to make sure we also remember. Just because God is sovereign doesn't mean we can be passive or resigned in our faith. As if, because God is sovereign, it means doesn't matter what I do. The scripture is clear. God caused his people to do something with his sovereignty. We are called to live out, not because we force God to do anything, but because by his nature he caused us to be a part of his work with him. Because sometimes, if we have such a high view of God's sovereignty, which I think is important, which I think is essential, we can run the risk of just sitting down and waiting for God to do what God is going to do. <sighs> and we just take it easy. And we can take it so far and say, well, hey, and I don't think this is a necessarily bad view. Some have it in the church where, where because God will save all those who are going to come to know him, I don't have to share the gospel because he'll do it. And then I believe we fail to hear the words of Jesus that he would say, now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. He said, go and make. He didn't say, sit and let me do the work. There's a place for supervisors in our world. Is there not there? There's a place for supervisors. Were you a supervisor on the railroad yet? Not in real life, he thought it was. He didn't have that title. Okay. What's the purpose of the supervisor there? Alright. To supervise. To supervise. You can't use the word in the definition of the word, Josiah. Alright. Tell everybody else what to do. They don't have to do the work for them. Not necessarily the other people do it, right? Isn't it? Supervisors can go sit down and just, and I've seen it, you know? Or they, they, not, they don't necessarily sit around, but they may, they may have a shovel, and they lean on the shovel, and they say, well, I bet you need about three more inches in that hole. All right? Something like that, but they don't ever move their shovel. There's many a times we might think, because of God's sovereignty, we get to just sit on our, or lean on our shovel, shovels and say, okay, Lord, I bet you that person over there needs Jesus. You're sovereign, you'll do this. And we have flipped the roles. The book of James kicks the shovel out from underneath the supervisor where they kind of fall in the hole and have to start doing something. Because we are not to have a passive faith or a faith that resigns just waiting for the day to come. We have a responsibility to act out this sovereignty. To show the world the race of God who is sovereign. And in one of the great ways we do that, that doesn't always seem as it appears to others, is through prayer. 
And James, in his final words to the early church and to us this Palm Sunday, reminds us of the importance of prayer. He says, is anyone among you in trouble or in distress or sick? That word can mean lots of different things, typically a physical sickness. Then let them pray. Is anyone at a point where you are content and peaceful, where you have to sense not that everything is okay, happy is a really bad word for the Okay, I'm just going to let you know. I know I shouldn't disagree with people who study this all the time. But we think we think of happiness as a feeling, you know, that comes and goes. It's more to it. It's this, this contentment with the fact that we know what is going on. Not that everything is okay, but this contentment that I'm blessed because of who God is. You know, that's what he says also. Let them sing songs of praise or pray prayers of praise. The word for that is kind of play the guitar, the harp. You know, those things. We have a whole book in scripture of songs that is a mixture of both those types of prayers. Prayers of lamenting when things are not right, but prayers when there is a peace. If I must admit, maybe you know the same feeling. It's much easier to pray when life is falling apart than it is to remember the same phrases when life is good. And James would say, you've got to be integrated. You have to be a person of integrity. That when life is good, praise the Lord. When life is not good, pray to the Lord. Why? Because prayer is important. In these verses 13 through 18, prayer is in every single one of those verses, the word prayer. How do we learn things? Repetition, repetition, repetition. Pray, pray, pray. Is anyone sick? A physical ailment, let them, let them call the elders, the leaders of the church, to pray over them and to anoint their heads anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other, so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was just like us. He prayed, but it would not rain. It did not rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain. Pray, pray, pray. Prayer is important, amen? Prayer is essential, I would say, amen? Because prayer is powerful. Prayer is what moves mountains, not my faith, your faith. Prayer, because when we pray, we are submitting ourselves to the sovereign God and saying, your will be done. You alone have some power to do it. This prayer that the elders would pray over those who are sick, it's not, the focus is not on what they are doing. The focus is on the fact that when they pray, when people pray in congruent with God's will, things happen. Is there an amen there? Amen. Those of you who have joined us or come back to us in the past five years, can I tell you something? You have been prayed for. You have been prayed for. 
Maybe not by name. I don't know if some of you who've been around here for a long time remember our 40 days of prayer that we did. I believe it was in 2017. We prayed for you. We prayed prayers and we tried to learn what it meant to be uh, to pray in the name of the Lord that the will of God. Prayer is powerful. This is why I firmly believe this truth. The church which ceases to pray will cease to exist. Hey, Dad. Hey, what? Yeah. Well, it's not working. It's not showing you. Well, the cameras aren't working. The cameras aren't working? Alright, well, Daniel, let's see real quick. I won't fall. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I will, maybe not. But prayer is important. Prayer reminds us of prayer reminds ourselves of our purpose and our reason for existing. That is why over seven years ago. One of the very first things, if not the first things I did, is pastor here. Anybody can guess? We restarted our midweek prayer time. And that's why it goes today. Why? Because prayer is essential to the work of the church, and the church which ceases to pray intentionally ceases to exist. It may go on for years and years and years. That was one of my first acts here. This is the spiritual legacy we as a church have been given. But we can't be haphazard about it. James is reminding, if you want to be the people of God, if you want to be able to rejoice in all kinds of trials, then you must learn the essential aspect of praying. The Christian who does not pray is not obedient. There you go. <clears throat> the Christian who does not pray is not obedient. That may sound harsh. I don't need to be too harsh. It's, I think, the truth of Scripture. The truth of Scripture is we were to seek God. We were to pray for Him. Because when we pray, we are submitting our will to God's will, to His plan. We are reminding ourselves through prayer, it isn't about what I want. It's about what he wants. No wonder James says over and over again, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask. Man, we need wisdom and wisdom and wisdom. Prayer is our way of discerning God's heart and plan. And we come to this great passage here that leaves us maybe scratching our heads. If anyone is sick, verse 14, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. It almost sounds a little too good to be true. And we're left with this question. What about prayers on Nancy? This is a tough verse. 
part of me almost wishes I could just kind of say, okay, Ron Clutter, why don't you come up and tell us all what this verse really means, and it would save myself from heaven. But I'm not going to do that, Ron, don't worry, you can stay seated with that. It's one of those, because some people will say, look, you pray, and it's, if you go and you pray over people, and you anoint them with oil, and they don't get well, you must not have had faith. And then there's a part of me when I hear something like that, goes, oh, oh. But that's what it sounds like, does it not? So we have to wrestle with it. What does it mean? Did James really mean if we just had enough faith, every time we pray for someone with a, because the words here is a physical ailment. It's not just a spiritual issue here. But we find out that's involved. You know, because they might need forgiveness of sins. You know, there's a spiritual dimension, but, but what, what about all these names on our list? I mean, we prayed for Andy Anderson. Did we not have faith? Was it a lack of faith? Well, does anybody dare want to go up to Joyce Bowen and say, you just didn't have enough faith, Joyce? You, you, I hope not, because you ain't going to get to her before I get to you. Okay? I'm a little younger than Joyce. But you know what? People have used that verse right there to say, you didn't have faith. Here's my best answer as of today. <coughs> Unanswered prayers do not always mean a lack of faith. Okay? But a prayer of faith is a prayer that is a prayer of wisdom. Prayer discernment. A prayer of seeking the Lord to where when you are asked to pray, there's, there's a reason they call the elders up. These are to be people who are um, in touch with who God is and his character. That when those people are called upon to pray, they've been so in touch with God, they have a way of knowing how to pray that maybe they're not even asked to pray that way. They have a way of knowing those things. When prayer, a prayer of faith is willing to say, not my will be done, but yours alone, O Lord. It doesn't mean we don't ask for bold prayers of healing, because God does heal. A lot of times he uses nowadays in our culture, good doctors. So go to the doctor, okay, and uh, with them. God does miraculous things. James is not giving us a formula, but he's giving us a posture. What does he say earlier? Faith is one that is not just listening to the word or speaking words, but doing the words. Faith is one that reminds that is remembered of the fact that words are important. And so they are careful with their words. Faith is one that is lived out in action. So that when you are asked to pray, you have a sense of, I bet it's this way. Now I can tell you, there have been times I have prayed for specific things in the hospital, and they happened. I forget which one it was, but they were in April, we prayed right at the bed, and their April went away. Okay. I've prayed with people about the pain that has been in their lives, and the pain has gone away. Do I think that always happens? No. 
As I've prayed other times, and that hasn't been the case, but my prayer of faith is one, Lord, you know what is best. And I don't use those words as a cop-out. But I think we also have to remember the prayer of faith is one that does not focus on us as human beings as much as what God will do. That is why my favorite prayer to pray, and I prayed over all of you all many times. God, God would show up and show up, and we would see what he's doing. It may be a physical healing. It may be something completely different. Is this an easy purpose to pass it from? And my family and I struggled with this, yes. You all know she traveled with us seven, well, six and a half years ago when we should throw it out. We prayed miraculously now. I mean, the man was never supposed to walk and walk in shortly afterwards into a, a meeting in a public place to proclaim the goodness of God. You can't tell me that wasn't prayer doing something. Claim the goodness of God. And when then he had other surgeries and we prayed. And our prayer wasn't answered necessarily the way we would have liked. But we submit. And you all helped Alicia and I get all the way out there and back. You know, both. But we sat in an auditorium with thousands of people where they heard the words of scripture, faithful unto death. Faithful unto death. Where the gospel of Jesus was proclaimed. A prayer of faith will have eyes to see that God is up to something that we cannot physically see because prayer is not always as it seems. Prayer is powerful. It is important. It discerns the heart of God. It submits to God's plan. And prayer is essential. But you know what? We can block prayer too. James doesn't just give us the good news of prayer, but reminds us over again that there's sin, there's issues within the community that can block the power of prayer. That's why he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It isn't just a physical healing he's talking here. Within the book of James, there's dissension, there's disagreement. They're like hitting each other against one another. And he says, you want to be healed as a church? Confess to one another. We're Baptists, we don't like this. And rightly so. We're Baptists, we believe in Go to the Lord ourselves, and we can, and we should. But there is a time when we must go to one another and say, I can ask you. Will you forgive me? I might already have forgiveness of God, but sometimes we've got to have forgiveness from one another. And sometimes we need to confess your sins to one another so you can hear the words of Scripture. The Lord has forgiven you, my son. So we must do this. Unforgiveness, the lack of confession in a church will block the power of prayer in a church. And this is what we must do. We must do this together. 
my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from their error will save them from death, the second death, and cover a multitude of sins. We are in a time period where we all like to hear what we want to hear. We live in America where every commercial, to some extent, is about comfort. It's about relieving pain. And sometimes we don't like it when we hear words like this because it may mean we, individually, myself, have wandered from the truth and someone needs to bring me back. We gotta do this together. The Christian faith isn't just me and the Lord, it is us and the Lord, of which I am a part. For I must do what the Lord has called. This is the prayer of faith where sometimes, one-on-one, -on -one, I might have to say, uh, I think you've missed it. I love you. I think you've missed it. That's a prayer of faith. But just because you missed it doesn't mean you are unforgivable. No. You are forgivable if you submit to the Lord. This coming Thursday and this coming Sunday, Easter Sunday, we will interact with the final words of Jesus. Next Sunday's words that we will interact with is are, are the two, two of the phrases found in Luke that Jesus uttered in those final moments where he turned to the criminal on the one side and he said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. And also the words he uttered, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they do. And I don't want to give you too much of what I'm going to talk about, because we may not come back, I don't know. But the truth of it, in those two words, those two phrases. There is power with the understanding that you are forgivable regardless of what you have done. If the thief on the cross can hear words of forgiveness, I don't care what you have done. You are forgivable. And that there was always hope. There was always a plan. Jesus didn't just say, your sins are forgiven and then nothing happened. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. And there's a plan involved there. And that's what we do when we pray. That is this sweet. And so as we come to this time of communion, and as those who are going to come and, and serve it, come and we, we partake in that. Go to the next slide, David. We are